You're listening to And what is poppin' everybody? Um, you're listening to the Good Pop Culture Club. This is episode 138. Um, my name is Marvin Yu and joining me to talk about all the good pop that gets us through whew, some days. Um, we have the most professional of culture editors, Han Nguyen. Hey Han. Hey, I'm back. Happy New Year. Um, Happy I understand Year of the Cat. It's the year. Yeah, I did. I did not know about this. This is like the big like. Did you know that's been circulating this year? Did you know that? On um, I guess it's the, the Vietnamese lunar calendar or the zodiac. It's the cat instead of the rabbit. Yeah. So this is kind of an interesting thing. I found this out a while ago. Um, obviously because every twelve years. So maybe 24 years ago, I found this out, <laughs> maybe longer than that. But, um, uh, and I just remember only seeing it like in a calendar because we actually celebrated as the rabbit. Like we talked about my, right. um, my other family members being rabbits. And I was just like, well, why is that a cat? And I p- was pointing to the picture and my mom's like, actually Vietnamese people also celebrate as the cat. And I was like, why don't yeah, we? Because I guess the way that it's explained to me is, the Vietnamese fable around the zodiac is different than the Chinese one. And maybe, I guess, is your family like ethnic Chinese or are you guys Vietnamese? Vietnamese? No, we're we're pretty much Vietnamese. Okay. Then um, maybe it's good well, old-fashioned colonialism then. Yeah, I think it is basically <laughs> where most of the people in America, whether they're Vietnamese or not, uh, identify with the rabbit, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and maybe it's more of if you are staying in Vietnam... It's the cat, but where where this is something I made my intern write. Well, I call her an intern. She's no longer an intern. She's hired. <laughs> um, was an explainer about why there is that division, and it's kind of actually sort of a murky thing where they imagine first of all that the cat never existed in the Chinese zodiac because well, you know the cat like, did exist in the myth, but the cat was screwed over by the mouse. Well, that myth was explained because it was trying to explain the lack of the cat. So, yeah, well, it's two It's two things. One is the lack of the cat, and the other is to explain why cats hunt mice. Right. So the lack of the cat is, is, is explained by people assume that the Zodiac was created before the actual domesticated cat was brought to China. Oh. So... So the Zodiac has pre-existed by like at least a thousand years or something like that. And so why would you like include a cat that never existed in China until like later? So they, of course, knew what a tiger was. So like a wild cat, sure. Um, And then the myth, of course, kind of got explained. And I love all the myths because it's like the rat being like uh, outsmarting the cat, like lying to the cat, you know, (laughs) making the cat oversleep. All this good stuff. Wait, I love those types of... Was that what you learned? Because what I learned was uh, uh-huh. the mouse, the cat, and the ox conspire together to like come in one, two, and three um, in the great Zodiac race to determine the Zodiac animals. And so the cat and the mouse rode on the ox's back. Um, and as they were crossing the river, the mouse betrayed the cat and kicked them off the yes. ox. Um, into the river, um, causing the cat to not even finish the race. And then once the ox was almost at the finish line, the the mouse jumped off the ox's nose and came in first. And, you know, this is like a, a fable to teach us why mice are clever and why cats hunt and hate mice. I've heard so many different versions of this story that that <laughs> is similar for sure. There was one where it was like the rat and 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 cat were friends and it's like yeah so you know but they were sleeping so it's like he was supposed to wake him up and of course because the cats oh. like to sleep <laughs> yeah um so there was that that's, but, a, uh, that's a nicer story that doesn't involve like violent uh, betrayal just like trying to drown a cat yeah yeah um <laughs> So here's the other thing. I don't know how much of this is true, but the other reason why I heard that the cat is um, adopted in Vietnamese is what is, are there different words for rabbit in Chinese? Um, like, no. is there an older word for rabbit? I just know the one, which is two. What is it? Okay, no. Which is so, why a cute thing people are doing, like a punny thing is, um, Happy New Year to you, because two is oh, cute. the rabbit. So somewhere, I don't know where I saw this on the internet, they said one of the older words for rabbit 
in Chinese sounded like Mao or something like that or Mao oh. or whatever. Hmm. And and in Vietnamese, the word for cat is male. Um, yeah, and for so, us it's Mao too. Yeah. yeah, yeah, which so that doesn't make sense it being a rabbit. <laughs> but who knows? I don't know etymology in Chinese, so maybe that's true, maybe it's not. Um, um, but yeah. I mean, I it's funny. Uh, one of the few... I guess childhood rhymes that I still remember from my childhood is actually um, the order of the zodiac animals because it was taught to us through like a a rhyme. Oh, really? Yeah. Oh, that's fun. Just like how people learn the planets or whatever. Kind of. Yeah. It's yeah. uh. So I will always know the order of the zodiac. I I wish I knew that. I only know the order up to a certain point because those are the people in my family, <laughs> and then and then the rest of them I'm kind of like a little spotty on. The things you learn, but yeah, happy um, year of the cat or rabbit, however you celebrate. Um, it's off to I guess a not so great start. Um, <laughs> oh shit! Yeah, I guess yeah. We would be remiss not to mention the things that are happening. Mm-hmm. Or the things that have happened right in our backyard um, over Lunar New Year weekend. Um, that is to say, I'm pretty sure our listeners now by now know about the shooting that happened at Monterey Park and at Half Moon Bay a few days later. Um, you might notice that um, our co-host Jess is not joining us this episode. Um, Monterey Park is actually her hometown and also where she lives. So uh, she's taking a much-needed mental health break um, this week. Um, and, you know, it's it's a thing, right? Like, um, you know, I grew up in San Gabriel, which is one city o- away from Monterey Park. And mm. the intersection that that shooting took place in is one that I know really well. Like my family doctor growing up was a block away. Um, I've had many meals at the ABC Cafe right on that corner. Um, that's the corner where I dropped my parents off for the Chinese airport mm-hmm. shuttle um, that goes to LAX from um, the SGV. It's wild to think that something so violent can happen, um, especially during like a holiday when people are out celebrating and... You know, that Saturday, it was like, for me, I was about yeah. to go to sleep when I was checking Twitter, as you do before you go to bed. And I saw that the LA Times reporter, Zhang Park, um, mentioning that there had been reports of a shooting in Monterey Park. And he was heading over to see what's going on. Yeah. And from there, you know, all the reports just started trickling in. Um, eyewitness accounts, people coming in, like people not sure yeah, what was going I, on. Here's the thing. Like, I, I, I sleep earlier than you guys. So I was... <laughs> surprisingly also just on my phone i was you know what i was i was composing a happy new year tweet to go up the next day and i was saving it in my drafts and i had the whole gif ready and you know the year of the cat and all that type of stuff and my phone alerted me on the citizen app that that had happened and i was like what the fuck so this was actually maybe even an hour before reporters caught wind of it and so i was reading up on that and then you texted and i was like um yeah so we were just basically online for you know the next few hours and i was just like this is not a good way to start the year um but yeah it's a cultural hub like even though i am not from la i was very familiar with that sort of area like when i looked at the photos and stuff like that um so and there had been a um, an early New Year's celebration in that um, sort of area right before because this happened at around 10, 10 p.m., 10.20. And so just a few hours before, they had just sort of disbanded the the festival or whatever the things that they were doing. Yeah, they're night. probably still in the middle of like closing you know, breaking down. Breaking it down. Breaking down, yeah. yeah. So it was, yeah, it was shocking. And it was kind of horrifying and it's you know knowing that so many people that we know live there uh it was yeah so it was definitely a not a great thing but also a shared thing that we had on social media because that's where i went to find all the other people reacting yeah when something like this happens you know everyone just wants to know why like what would drive someone to do such a thing and you know those early hours when we didn't know who the shooter was, we didn't know that he was a older Asian man. There's just so many possibilities, all of them bad, you know, like to be an Asian American in like 
post-pandemic America is to be constantly in the back of your mind somewhere fearing for your safety, right? Like just a few weeks ago, there was a an Asian student who got stabbed on a bus because of racism, you know. And, you know, those early hours, because this happened so close to that Lunar New Year festival, like, I know I was fearing the worst. Like, is this like, is this a racist thing? Is this a hate crime? And, you know, when we learned that the shooter was an older Asian man, it wasn't really a relief because then that opens up a whole slew of other reasons that we as a community are aware of. And for better or worse, right? Like, you know, the Asian community has always had a problem with um, patriarchy, misogyny, um, domestic violence, mental health. And to me, it's kind of sad that we have to have a tragedy of this magnitude, right? Like 10, 11 people dead so far, um, so many more injured to maybe reckon with these things that exist in our culture. And, you know, we're still learning more about the motives. We don't know specifics. People are still trying to figure out why and if this person had any relation to any of the victims. Um, And I know I feel like we know even less about the Half Moon Bay shooter. But I think what's clear, at least to me, is, you know, there are all these underlying issues that led to this, these people to choose violence as like a solution to their problems. And the situation is made infinitely worse because they had access to semi-automatic weapons that make killing a lot of people in a short amount of time a lot easier. Uh, I mean, it's it's a really difficult subject to address, and especially when we're about to launch into an entertainment, you know, discourse podcast. <laughs> but I will say that, like, there it's... It's difficult because it also is just pointing to how broken our country is. And because this is an ongoing um, source of pain and collective mourning that, yes, a lot of Asians in America are going through, but also collectively America is going through. But um, there have been a few more shootings since just a week ago. Um, So this is not this is not ended that just highlighted and it's tragic and still very shocking to us. I will say I was kind of glad because we had considered not doing a podcast recording this week. I am very glad Marvin that you said you were up for it because honestly for me, this is how I'm able to get through some of this stuff is to talk to my fellow Asians um, and sort of like, same what I was saying about going online for social media is like, we're here sharing the same experiences. We're still kind of making sense of things. We don't know where we're, what we're feeling, but at least we're feeling it together. Um, and uh, I think that kind of helps because it's like a lot of times people don't feel seen. They don't feel like respected or any of these things, but it's like, Hey, we are doing feeling the exact same things. So yeah, um, yes, we're going to talk about some fun things, but we will <laughs> first of all, just acknowledge that this is horrible and tragic. And I'm very angry also on top of all of the other feelings that I have, um, which is in a way why I'm like, yeah, I'm going to keep on doing the shit I'm doing this week. Um, in yeah. order to continue. Yeah. And, you know, so far the discourse has been, at least from my feed, um, pretty respectful overall. Um, there were some, obviously there's sprinklings of assholes here and there trying to make this into something that it's not. But, you know, for me personally, I feel like, or at least I hope that what comes out of this situation is more real conversations, especially in our Asian American community about things like gun control, but also the issues that, you know, are, we always chuck up to all cultural differences, things like domestic abuse, things like um, gendered violence, Um, you know, these are... um, I hate to say it, but I agree. Um, The gendered violence, especially with an older Asian male, is not unheard of. I... Uh, not to reveal too much, but there was someone I knew in high school who, um, a fellow student of mine whose um, father basically killed 
her mother and sister and other people because I think that he suspected the mother was having an affair. And um, yeah, so it's 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 something that definitely needs to be addressed when we talk about mental health, when we talk about toxic masculinity, gendered violence, all of the ways that like Asian um, communities don't reckon with um, the imbalances and those types of things that are problematic in our community, but also in America too. So it's all part of the ongoing sort of hurt that we're feeling and confusion and also anger when other people outside are not with us uh, understanding and are instead pointing fingers or, you know, laying blame or laughing at us. So, yeah. So, you know, when things like this happen, it's easy to feel helpless and it's easy to feel like you want to do something, but you're not sure. And, um, you know, the one thing that we can all do is help the victims, uh, the people left behind, the people that are affected by this tragedy. And so um, for our show notes, we're, we'll be including links to the uh, victims funds that's been set up for both the Monterey Park and the Half Moon Bay um, shootings. So, you know, if you're so inclined, feel free to donate to support the people affected by this tragedy. You know, it kind of sucks that we're always... We're so used to it, right? Like the the process, you know, something terrible happens and then all these GoFundMes show up to support um, yeah. the, the um, victims and the people left behind. It's gotten to, to the point where we no longer point out the Onion headline that has resurfaced every single time for every shooting. Yeah. And I hate that we're getting used to it. I don't want to get used to it. We shouldn't be getting used to it. And, you know, something's got to change. And. It's just, it feels like it's happened so often. And I feel really bad because, you know, I've been so wrapped up in the Monterey Park shooting because that's the local one that I, I don't really know that much about the other shooting, the Half Moon Bay shooting. No, it, people shouldn't feel bad about that just because we have limits as humans in order uh, like of how much we can process and deal with. Um, it's one of the reasons why Jess is taking a break this week. <laughs> So um, what we can't we don't have the capacity to take on everything. So um, I did read up on it a little bit. And, you know, people, if they want to donate, they can. Um, I feel like doing something, anything um, helps you feel better, too. And um, and also just sort of helps you feel closer to the community. Yeah. So whatever it is you do. Yeah. Um, so <laughs> it's. It's going to feel super weird to segue into let's talk about entertainment <laughs> stuff. But um, this is a podcast about the good pop in our lives. And, you know, I think our subject for this week definitely um, provided some much needed levity um, yeah. for this I very, mean, very dark first week of the Year of the Rabbit. Um, which is to say we watched Megan, the killer robot doll film that has, <laughs> I feel like, taken... The World by Storm. It's a currently the third highest grossing film of 2023, uh, which, you know, it's a Blumhouse film. So pretty good, you know, horror pedigree. Um, I mean, is it a horror film? It has horror elements, but we, we'll, we'll probably talk, talk more about that going forward. But um, definitely a film that I wish I watched in the theater. Um, we'll talk more about that later. But um, before we get to Megan, let's find out what pop culture is beginning us through this week um han what's popping uh i want to talk about a book which actually i do feel like was could have been a good segue from our heavy um (laughs) subject to this but it is the book called uh, it's a novel called the sense of wonder it's by matthew i believe his last name is celeses sorry i don't know how to say it celeses um if if that name sounds familiar, he wrote a really great book that I also own called uh, Craft in the Real World that sort of reimagines and sort of reconfigures the craft workshop for writing um, that most people use because he is a writing instructor and um, a fiction writing instructor. And he, you know, he sort of unpacks how a lot of the way our workshops are structured are from the hmm, straight white male uh, abled point of view because it has been low for hundreds of years. Um, So it's a really eye-opening and kind of really cool book. 
even as someone who has left those craft um, workshops behind in college, uh, I found it a really great way to think about culture and the culture we consume. Um, I actually was thinking a lot about this when I was watching K-dramas. And so interestingly enough, his new book, The Sense of Wonder, covers two big uh, pop culture things. One is um, Linsanity. So his version is a a Korean-American basketball player named Wan Lee. And he is kind of the version of Jeremy Lin for Koreans in this book, where basically he also led the Knicks in a seven-game winning streak um, and became sort of called... He became the wonder. Uh, instead of Linsanity, the play on word is on Wan. And... Um, and so he, you know, he goes into that and sort of the racism he faces as an Asian American um, basketball player who some, somehow makes it big and yet still is in the shadow of many of his fellow uh, players. Uh, Wan Lee also happens to be dating Carrie Kang, who is a Korean American producer of television, and she is uh, producing a K-drama. So she's flying back and forth to uh, Korea to do this K-drama, and she's thinking about trying to figure out how to make a K-drama in America. So it covers those two things, um, sports. So if you really love sports or basketball, like he goes into it. Like there were paragraphs of like point stuff that I really didn't understand, <laughs> but I could tell it was very tense. And um, But he also goes through sort of like the politics of game playing, of, of draft picks, of uh, how you, I don't know, the opportunities you get, all this other stuff that um, being traded, stuff like that, that made a lot more sense to me, but also made me, uh, was filled, filled with me with outrage because of course racism. Um, and on the flip side, of course, I really enjoyed the K-drama stuff because um, Matthew Celeste's was uh, really um, fell in love with K-dramas through his wife who had died. Um, but he fell in love with the the tropes, the storytelling, the way of doing things and um, and used it a lot in his Craft in the World World sort of discussions of um, plots. And here you can see he actually has created a K-drama that she's filming. Like he's down to the detailed plots and like how each nuanced part of the uh, plot is going. It's actually fascinating and I would love to watch it. Um, In addition to um, digging into the politics of making these K-dramas in Korea because she is, of course, a female producer, but in a still very patriarchal society. Um, so we get the racism, we get the sexism, um, all good stuff. And to make you kind of angry, there's also a cancer storyline with Carrie's sister, um, <laughs> which sort of reflects um, what Matthew went through um, with his wife. Um and so there's this little bit of sadness there, but um, it's it's all fascinating because in some ways, I I don't want to draw it back to you know the shooting, but like in a lot of ways, it speaks to the same ideas of us not being understood, identity, um, be, having a foot in two worlds, not being seen as American enough or Asian enough, depending. Um, and so yeah, it's I think it's actually a fantastic book to read. Just as an Asian American, but also if you're feeling like like you want a little bit of connection with stuff that's going on in the world right now, like yeah, it's fun. So it's fun, but it also makes you feel seen. So good stuff. Yeah. I mean, I, I am a big fan of these meta stories about like Asian Americans in entertainment. Like um Charles Hughes in Here Chinatown is another example mm-hmm. of this. And parts of actually Vietnam wins um the Sympathizer is also kind of a meta narrative on Asian portrayal on, in Hollywood. And I think it's a clever way to tell these stories stealthily, you know, because, um, like, in, you know, because if you start talking about this to normal people, sometimes, you know, I feel like their eyes kind of glaze over. Oh, they're talking about representation again. But if you sneak it into like a meta narrative, I feel like people are like, oh, I get it now. Right. It's, it yeah. Kinda... I, I, I will say he does call it out, out very explicitly in most cases but he does let it play out first and then he adds the thing but it's told from first person 
perspective in both cases. So mm. from Wan Lee's case and from Carrie Kang's case. And um, so, yeah, I, I agree. Like, I think it's still a fun story to follow, but you definitely will not be lacking um, as far as insights about what this person feels. Um, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So it's also short. It's two hundred forty pages ish. Oh. Like I have, I got a, 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 whatever an arc advanced reading copy. So maybe it's different from the, um, finished draft. But still, it's pretty. It's pretty short, and um, it's kind of dense. That's why, like, I, you take your time to read it. The chapters are super short, um, but they're also very funny. Like they're sort of like sharply funny. So there, I put like those little flags on my book because I'm not one to highlight or write in my books. And there I have about like 50 flags on there. So yeah. uh, lots of, lots of good lines in there. Yeah. Also it's a little Brown book. So um, definitely has nothing to do with Harper Collins who's still in like day 53, 54 of their <laughs> strike. Um, so you can enjoy this book guilt free. Yes. Buy, <laughs> buy this book or, or ask your library to stock it. Both, both things help. <laughs> yeah. So, Marvin, what's popping with you? I also read a book, um, a little more fluffy than than the book you have. Um, it's The Fraud Squad by Kyla Zhao. We are interviewing Kyla on Books and Boba, my other uh, book club podcast. So, um, you know, I got an advanced copy to read through. And it's, um, I don't know if you've heard of this book. It's it's actually, it released last week and it's getting a lot of pretty good uh, media attention um i think i featured on like good morning america or something um they're really putting a lot of resources behind this book it's essentially a asian ya take on the um she's all that story <gasps> for oh, socialites but okay. and i understand she's all that is also a take on like pygmalion and uh, mm-hmm. what's the, what is that a uh, classic movie that's also a modern take on Pygmalion. Uh, My yeah, Fair so Lady. Pi- yeah, My Fair Lady My is Fair Pygmalion. Lady. Right. It's, it literally is Pygmalion. So it's basically so. My Fair Lady, but taking place in Singapore high society. The main character is a girl named Sam, who is a PR professional, fresh out of college, um, who dreams of writing for um, S Magazine, which is like the high society, kind of like the Vogue, but better, um, of Asia. Um, and she's working for this PR company because they're owned by the same parent company. She helps to, to switch over. Um, kind of a PR person in the way that rom-com protagonists are journalists, you know? <laughs> um, her job is more marketing promotions, you know, um, coming up with launch events for um, new products. Um, but, you know, it's it's all adjacent. So maybe, maybe I'm just <laughs> nitpicking a little too much. But... The story follows Sam as she comes with a plan um, with her friends to pass herself off as a socialite in order to uh, make connections within high society so that she can land her dream job at um, S Magazine by attracting the attention of like the Meryl Streep and Devil Wears Prada, like hardcore editor in chief. And she's able to do this because her work friend happens to be a nipple baby who introduces her to her fellow nipple baby friend, the very good looking Tim, who is the scion of a, um, I guess, a hedge fund family, who is actually like a kind and creative soul who wants to prove to his family that upbringing isn't everything and decides to do so by um, showing them that even a commoner like Sam can make it in high society without anybody knowing of her common roots. So they decide to form the Fraud Squad, hence the name of the book. And so the story follows them as they engage in higher and higher stake events. And I mean, these types of stories is not that uncommon, right? We've seen many iterations of this story arc where um, someone comes up from rags to riches and then the success starts getting into their heads. And yeah, she loses herself a little bit. Yeah. And, you know, we're getting to the part, I'm not done with the story yet, but we're getting to the part where start, the seams start falling apart and I'm excited to see what the fallout goes. Um, you know, part of me wishes this has more of like an eat the rich vibe because that's kind of where I am. But I mm-hmm. also understand this is not that kind of story. Like I kind of see, you know, it's not about sticking to the rich people. It's about finding yourself and you know, figuring out what's important to you is not the money or the glass. It's like your own drive or whatever. I'm sure that's where the story is going. Um, but I'm really enjoying I, it because it has that like, you know, I guess I am basic and simple in that you give me this classic story, both an Asian twist and I will 
enjoy it. Yeah. I mean, no, I love there are certain classic stories that I love to see remade because of how they twist it to make to update it. So Pride and Prejudice is one of them. <laughs> I think the Pygmalion story is another because I don't think those are, are sacred. You can just go back to the original if you want the sacred text. Um and so it's kind of fun. It's just like why Fire Island was so delightful because it was so smartly redone. Um I will I will read this. Um, I watched She's All That, and and I hate to admit it, he's all that. Uh, so, yes, I have seen all the versions of uh, Pygmalion. That, yeah. and, and, and honestly, I, I love Pygmalion because it's been remade in almost every um, medium. So it started off as a poem. It became a play. It became a musical, and it became a t- a movie movie musical, and then it became a rom com in the nineties. So like, look, so why not all these v- book versions? Yeah, I, I love it. And like the Asian twists are all really fun, you know. Like, of course, you have like the best friend that grew up with you that you go out to brunch with, right? But instead of brunch, they meet up at a kopitiam and have like kopi yeah. and kaya toast together. And you know, I gotta admit, it made me have a hankering for some kaya toast. Um, I. Yeah, I, I, I like that. I also do hope, though, that they eat the rich somehow at the end. I do hope so, too. But I don't know. I, 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 they probably won't. I don't they think it's that kind of story because, um, yeah. you know, the, the text really wants me to sympathize with this rich guy who just wants to live his own life. And I hope the resolution of this book isn't that, like, you know what? Rich people have it hard, too. But um, I guess we'll see. Um, on that note, the other oh, thing that I really liked about this book is... Um, you know, I'm on record as not being the biggest fan of um, the way the Crazy Rich Asians, the book, was yes. written um, because same, it kind of gets same. bogged down on describing the extravagance and decadence of the rich class and all the name brand bags and cars you know, they I drive. Agree. We don't we don't have to go into it, but I totally agree. It was the writing that put me off. Yeah, um, this doesn't have that. Like it's, I it um, the <laughs> the name dropping might be a little gratuitous at points because you know that's i mean honestly that's probably all these people talk about too but the writing is also pretty solid it's a pretty solid rom-com um prose so um i'm having a much better time reading this book than um than crazy rich asians i i I will also say like obviously crazy rich asians you know had a following which is why this sort of like name dropping stuff you know works but it's also not not a lie like the worship for brand names in asia in certain parts of society is very realistic <laughs> um so i i just read a i think it was a ya book where uh someone started dating someone who was like almost the heir of someone in in indonesia and, and it was like all this like oh and then his aunt came his auntie came with the gucci blah 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 and i was like yeah yeah <laughs> Yeah. So yeah, it's it's, it's a fun book. Um, part of me wishes that it had a little more teeth in terms of like, you know, I don't want to know how hard it is to be a rich person, but um, <laughs> you know, for one of these books, it's it's fun. It's it's fun to read, even though I keep internally hoping that someone in the story would just start a revolution. That is where the suspension of disbelief works out, where you just have to be like, no, yeah, I, I guess I'm I'm going to cheer for this girl even though i, I guess it is to hard yeah. to yeah. be given a job that you don't want working for the world's top hedge fund i guess it is tough to live that life <laughs> because your father wants you to yeah <laughs> yeah <sighs> all right i guess that's um that's what's popping for uh, this week uh when we come back um we're taking a look at the phenomenon that is megan stick around Hey, I'm Bill Yu, and you may know me from a blog called Angry Asian Man. And I'm Jeff Yang, author, journalist, and celebrity dad. We host a podcast called They Call Us Bruce, an unfiltered conversation about what's happening in Asian America. Each week or so, we host a discussion about some of the most vital and interesting topics in our pop culture and our community, bringing in guests who are shaping and informing this thing called Asian America from Hollywood to D.C. and beyond. Uh, we've got media, entertainment, food, family, politics, representation, the good, the bad, the WTF of it all. So check us out wherever you get your podcasts or at theycallsbruce.com. 
All right, welcome back to the Good Pop Culture Club. On this episode, we are discussing Megan, the latest horror science fiction film uh, from Blumhouse, um, directed by Gerard Johnstone and written by Akela Cooper, who also previously wrote um, The Nun 2 and Malignant, which is a film that shares a lot of sensibilities with this film. Um, I think it's produced by James Wan um, and also based on the story by Kayla Cooper and James Wan. It follows a young girl named Katie who loses her parents in a tragic um, and very preventable um, mountain um, trip <laughs> accident and has to live with her um, tech genius aunt who works for a toy company making AI toys. Um, and to help her cope with her loss, her aunt introduces her to Megan, an AI android playmate um, who I guess loves her a little too much and develops some um, killer robot tendencies. <laughs> I guess I don't know how spoiler will be in the discussion. I mean, if you're thinking of watching this film or if you've heard this film, you kind of know what you're getting into. Um, the trailer pretty much gives away that this robot gets a little murdery. Um, and so going in and expecting that as part of the fun. Um, but Han, I am curious as someone who isn't a fan of horror. Um, how did you, what did you think of Megan? Uh, yeah, I don't like most horror. It's true, but I do like, creepy things which i i think maybe some people would be surprised about i like dark things i i like goth things this is neither of those things but when i saw the trailer i was like oh it totally knows what it's doing which is it's tongue-in-cheek and i think it looked smart and it tongue-in-cheek in a way that didn't feel like chucky because i, mean, I will not watch chucky either. it looks smart but also dumb yeah. at the same time which is like i think part of the charm right that is the perfect way. It's smart but dumb in the ways you want it to be. So it's smart in its dumbness. Um, but yeah, so I thoroughly enjoyed it because I got enough of the creepiness. Um, I But it was humorous in all the right ways. I didn't actually feel like it overdid it because like when I say it's humorous, I don't like it when it's too campy like Chucky. So it just had just enough camp, just enough creepiness, just enough earnestness. Um, if you want to read some like deeper meanings in there, sure, it could fit, <laughs> but it's not doesn't play it that hard. Uh, I think it was just a well-balanced film. I liked it. I will say as a kid, I know Child's Play is one of these kind of like really campy horror films, but I was terrified of Chucky growing up. Like the war, like I, I, I hated it. And so parts of this movie, I did find myself involuntary having like flashbacks. Like, Oh God, that's, that's a Chucky. That's a Chucky right there. Yeah. Uh, so I don't watch Chucky because I am afraid. Uh, this is something I will uh, confess right now is I actually do have automatonophobia, which is the fear of, figures that are kind of oh. human like so that in that includes uh marionettes uh ventriloquist dummies like chucky porcelain dolls and mannequins i was once locked in a shed with a mannequin oh, thanks no. brothers uh, that's, don't that's have not... brothers don't have mannequins anywhere in your house oh. um but yeah so all of that stuff creeps me the hell out clowns oh my god um, yeah, so, growing up, it was a no, like definitely no, like still a no for me. I haven't seen the new it. I don't want to yeah. see the new it. I've um, never, yeah, the no, original not watch the new it. Poltergeist. Yes, that with film, the clown in the tree. Yeah, oh. messed me up real bad too. My dad watched a lot of really like fucked up horror when yeah. I was a kid, and like I have memories of watching with him and being totally just messed up. Yeah, so that actually shows the strength of Megan. Uh, especially its trailer to reveal that it was not that to the point where I was like, yes, I want to see this. And I made plans with a friend to go spend my hard earned money to see this in a theater. Um, and I enjoyed it with my yeah. friend. I watched this at home. Um, cause, because, um, this week actually it uh, released, um, on early access for on um, Amazon prime and I guess other film streaming services. So I was actually able to watch this at home without going to the theater. And you know, for those of you who want to watch this film, but don't want to go, you know, still don't want to go to public spaces yet. You know, it is available for you now. But I kind of wish I went with people because this, much like um, mm -hmm. our experience with RRR, this is a film that I feel like would be enhanced with 
other people that are in on the joke. Yeah, there were definitely moments where I was like uh, exclaiming out loud, not just laughter, but just I was like, I can't believe they did that, you know. (laughs) And so you kind of are able to share that outrage and sort of like that nervous laughter with other people. I mean, just the intro with that, again, very preventable car accident. Like, (laughs) I don't know about you, but I was bracing like, yeah, for because, you know, we from the trailers, we know that those parents are are done for. Right. That's not a spoiler. But the fact that they're driving up a mountain with no chains I was like, these are definitely California drivers they, driving the snow for the first keep, time. Yeah, they just keep listing all the ways that they're not prepared for this snowstorm. And then also, we as Americans are conditioned when we watch a movie or a TV show and you are showing the inside of a car way too much, especially when the people <laughs> driving keep looking back or looking at someone else. Yeah. You know something's going to... So they just draw it out because they know you know that this is going to happen. So yeah, exactly. They are smart enough to have created this this ridiculous opening where you're just like, this is so tense. Like, just who's going to, how are they going to die? You know, you know, they're going to die, but how? Um, so I think that was also off to a good start. <laughs> yeah. And we talk about Blumhouse and their success in making films like this, which is, you know, ostensibly low budget horror films that do really, really well. I mean, this film was written by Akela Cooper, who also did Malignant. And I don't know if you watched Malignant, but it has similar vibes. Malignant is much more of a your traditional kind of creature feature type of of film. Like, there's definitely, like, more supernatural and, like, body horror stuff going on. Um, But it also is a film that, like, it's a mystery, right? You you, you spend most of the film trying to figure out what's going on. And the last Mm. half is kind of, like, the climax and where all the action is. And, like, Malignant for being a more kind of gross horror film or more straight-up horror film, I felt had the same vibes because I found myself laughing more often than not at what was happening on screen. And um, I don't know if you ever watched Malignant. um, And I don't know if our listeners have or have not. Um, I'm just going to spoil the... Yeah. I'm going to spoil the film for you. So Malignant is a film where... Like this woman keeps having nightmares and there's like the serial killer going around, like killing people that are related to her. And the reveal is she has a tumor in the back of her head that is her parasitic twin brother who takes oh, over yay. her body uh-huh. and kind of <laughs> uses her body to murder people. <laughs> I, I, I have to say I love that. I don't want to say trope, but like sort of. Uh, device because the parasitic twin um, as a twin myself of course I have followed these types of stories before (laughs) in in sci-fi especially I think Philip K. Dick wrote a story about that and it ended up in Total Recall a little bit Um, but yeah so oh that's fantastic maybe I'll check it out now it Uh, is (laughs) yeah it is creepy but also like once you find that twist and once like kind of they reveal the monster and it's like it's form it's so dumb because this face appears in the back of her head whenever she's knocked out and the climactic one of the climactic scenes in the film is in this prison scene where she's getting ganged up on by a bunch of women and then her her twin brother appears and she's walking backwards and there's this sick action scene where she's just like murdering a bunch of people uh, while walking backwards like a creepy monster and that is to say that I had a pretty good idea of what I was in for because of my experience with um, Akela's previous film and it definitely did not disappoint (laughs) Okay, well, maybe I'll check it out now. Yeah, um, which is pretty cool. I mean, um, you know, James Wan also is part of the story. And James Wan has, as we know, a wild imagination. You know, he has he cut his teeth on the Saw movies. He did a bunch of Fast and Furious movies. Like mm-hmm. he is, he did, he did Aquaman, right? That was his? Aquaman, yeah, yeah. Yeah. James Wan, also director of the Conjuring series, which is kind of not as much my jam. Um, Those are too I can't creepy. say I'm a big fan of like creepy ghost stories but robot murder doll definitely something that i can get behind uh i also just enjoy the fact that these are two very well-known names uh jason bloom james wan sort of like boosting each other but then now bringing in a kayla cooper uh into this sort of universe of maybe she will start franchises herself like just pay it forward keep on doing it well, aren't they already making the next Megan movie? Like they, there is a sequel already in the <laughs> works. Uh, can't 
I can, I can wait. Honestly, I was very satisfied with this one. It didn't need a sequel, but of course it was going to have one. Yeah. I mean, what was your, like, what was some other, like, of your favorite parts of, of Megan? Uh, let's see. I have to say, I think they just created her very well. Um, she is, does look like an American girl doll brought to life. The, her fashion is very good. Her, I, I, her creepy face um, that looks like it is half doll, half something else. I don't know. I mean, this is where Uncanny Valley works um, in her favor. Yeah, uh, there's, it's just very unsettling, right? The way that she stares at you with like that blank expression or like when they first introduce her as like the prototype and it's like she can't really smile, right? Yeah, where she's grimacing, sort of like her half half of her face is sort of like stuck in in frozen in place. Um, but her voice cre- is so cheery, you know. All creepy, um, so cheery. Also, her movements, like um, they did actually have a physical actress, you know, moving the body around, and yet she still kind of did robotic things, uh, kind of like how we associate, let's say, like body horror from like. Japanese <laughs> J-horror yeah. stuff. Stuffy does like the twitchy movements that like mm-hmm. kind of freak you out, right? Yeah. So all the sort of visual and, and physical things I just thought was sort of no perfect. Um, creepy, yet very shiny and and well crafted. Uh, it I think the half CGI, half practical melded together pretty well that I wasn't always paying attention to what was uh what was what i think it kind of melded together into one nice megan <laughs> yeah they're obviously drawing from a lot of different inspirations right definitely the creepy haunted doll stories but also like the terminator there's parts of the terminator in there in that she gets more and more messed up as the climax goes on and also her voice starts getting like more and more sinister right it reminds me of i don't know if you ever played portal um, but they have a character there named glados who is like a snarky kind of sinister AI voice that like uh. as she gets more more agitated she gets more and more like kind of digitized and I definitely feel like there was some inspiration from her voice onto and, Megan as well and also just her speech patterns became more opinionated because before <laughs> she talks kind of like a, a Siri device you know where it's sort of straightforward and it's from a script, but then when she starts riffing and having personality, you're like, oh no, uh, it gets creepier and creepier, like kind of calling you on your bullshit. Yeah. I was like, wait, that's not part of the script. Where did you learn this? <laughs> Just like teenagers. Uh, yeah. So yeah, I guess we can talk about that. Um, that this is a like you did compare it to Terminator in that like sort of that idea of let's say Skynet. Um, yeah. Robots taking over. Robots are going to come for us all. We're going to bow down to our robot overlords. Yeah, yeah, and they kind of lampshaded that at the beginning. Remember, uh, like the very first scene of this film is a commercial for a AI pet that yes. you play with on your iPad, right? Um, but they lampshade the whole like kind of Skynet ness of it by saying, "Oh yeah, we're totally listening to these kids through these AI pets to learn their speech patterns in order to you know create more." Um, realistic sort of conversations. Yeah, and it's like, yeah, this is how they get you, right? This is how the AIs will take over. And there's that one scene where the one of the technicians pokes Megan with like a stick to show that she can't, oh like God. she won't like fall over. And it reminds me of like those those videos of like oh of, the like, uh, technicians Boston like yeah dog kicking, it- yeah kicking over those robot dogs. I'm like, man. If this is the reason the robots rise up against us. Like, can't even blame them because yeah, totally- we we are also of course, living in this reality where uh, people are afraid, and especially journalists, are afraid that AI, like chat GPT, are going to take over our jobs, or at least our lower uh, paying jobs where it's writing news, because there have been reports of that happening. Um, but then, of course, the the AIs have not been perfect and so they can throw together words but they don't actually think or understand and get nuance. So uh it it this is kind of like where you you come in when it comes to Megan and the concept of AI. It's like uh to get really great AI you need a lot of input. And here she's kind of like 
started programming herself and learning from stuff, but who, where is she learning from and how much is she learning from? Um, and what are the conclusions that Megan has drawn with her limited amount of information? Yeah. Um, and also the information is coming from probably mainly America, you know? So <laughs> like that's um, biased. Uh, anyway, yeah. So. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> you know, horror films are often commentary on like society and social values and things like that right and this is definitely a take on ai or our increasing reliance on ai like you know you mentioned um chat gpt there's also this thing going around recently about how in voiceover contracts people mm-hmm. companies are adding in clauses saying that you agree to allow us to use your voice for use in training ai in order to in the future create AI voiceover artists, which yeah. is something that they're doing right now for like audiobooks. Yeah, which uh, is another just sort of the same sort of conversation that happened when it came to automating uh, things on the uh, the production line. You know, they're like, oh, they're taking our jobs. So I think we are all kind of in this moment where we're thinking, if they can do this, will it actually replace us? Will it create other jobs for us to have instead i do like a i i follow certain audiobook narrators and i do worry about the idea that these people or let's say voice actors for animation will Mm -hmm. be taken over by these ai robots there are let's say like i know in korea and japan there are virtual influencers totally created fake people selling you stuff uh, hatsune miku is like a virtual pop star (laughs) Yes, someone was p- just pitched me a story about like that. And I'm just like, I mean, that was stuff I watched in anime, I felt. <laughs> and, um, and, and so I think that maybe that might be the next iteration of Megan where they, she, like, they address that. But it, this is yeah. all like reflecting our fears in yeah. a funny way. Yeah. And Megan does this and combines that with like, hey, what if we do that, but with parenting? What if we let AI take over parenting, right? And and it's true that um, without spoiling it too much, but the little girl that she's supposed to be uh, taking care of and befriending, Katie, does start to rely on this AI and um, is it is her friend. And so she starts sort of acting out in a way because that's sort of what she's learning from this so they're in this feedback loop of Megan and Katie and Katie and Megan yeah learning from each other yeah and it's kind of like this extrapolation of like well right now we're kind of relying on iPads to parent our kids you know Mm -hmm. like how many times have we gone to dinner we've seen a table full of kids each with their own iPhone or iPad watching YouTube right yeah and not as a parent myself but I would totally be giving them screens so (laughs) Uh, being a screen person myself yeah so you know in some ways, we do bring this on ourselves as well. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I, I admit that I am part of the problem. Uh, <laughs> um, but I do want to ask, uh, what did you think of? I, you know, I did not know Ronnie Chang was in this film until <laughs> I <neither>. saw him. <laughs> I was just like, oh, this was just an accidental go Asian moment because I was like, we just decided to do Megan because it was a big movie, <laughs> but this one fits in our podcast also. Yeah. For that reason. I uh, think he was yeah. excellent as the tech executive <laughs> David Lin, which is a perfect like I actually know a few David Lins in real life. It's it's just like it's, it's like a, a great name. like Bob Smith of like Asian names, you know? Yeah, it, it it totally fit. Also, Ronnie Chang is great at being kind of a overdone asshole. <laughs> He he talks out of his ass a lot in this movie, and he's really good at it. Um, but he's still very likable, and that is the thing that I think is uh, important for his his characterizations. Yeah, is that you can't stop watching him. He's yeah. funny still. Yeah, when he was on screen, I was like, you know, he's not wrong. Everything he says makes sense from like a corporal point of view. Yeah, so I was like, oh my god, you're evil, but I can't be mad at you. <laughs> So yeah, he was he was it, totally enjoyable. I'm very happy that he ended up like surprising me uh, in this role. Uh, yeah, and I mean, this film is like it's scary at parts and tense, but also really really funny. Even the scary parts are really funny. Like I I found myself laughing a lot more than I was um, 
like cringing from fear. And I'm, I'm, I'm assuming it's the same way in the theaters, right? I'm sure people were like cheering during like all yeah. like the, the horror parts. Yeah, I think that's what I was talking about when it comes to how this horror movie wasn't scary because it was note perfect. It knew where that line was to make it funny just enough camp that you were laughing but also with just that underlying like this is so messed up <laughs> like why am I laughing at this really dark moment um, because you're supposed to they meant you to do that and it was and they they make it just cartoony enough with the uh, the violence that you are like this is this is so fucked up oh my god this is amazing I mean um, this is also yeah. a film where the robot breaks in the song um, and like does TikTok dancing before like she goes murdering. It's like it's it was great. and these are and these are not spoilers because you've seen this in the trailer. <laughs> and even when you see it in the theater, you're like, oh, that's great. I yeah. was also I heard about this singing because one of my writers uh, wrote about the music or at least her singing in um, in the movie. And it was still you have to actually experience it to understand the timing and the <laughs> rendition and just the mo- it's so great. Uh, I, yeah. I, I enjoyed that part so much and I didn't think I would. I I will say, um, if you haven't watched this film yet, there is some pet murder. Um, so if that's something that you don't enjoy, just be forewarned. Uh, I will say, because I say this to all my friends, we warn each other about animal cruelty and death in the screeners we watch. So we'll say episode two, pet death or on off screen. So we'll say, I will say it's off screen here. Um, so be warned, but also... If that's your line, you might be okay. Um, but yeah, and there's other, obviously, other some other cruelty that goes on. But uh, as as the movie wears on, it gets more violent. Yeah, but, uh, yeah. But I mean, yeah. I mean, most <laughs> of the violence happens literally in the last thirty minutes of the film. It's a kind of slow burn, um, in that way. It, yeah. And I think they that was on purpose. When the first really big violence comes out, it it's a shock and it makes you sort of like squeal but also laugh and uh, i feel like that's yeah. how a lot of horrors are though right the first like most of the film is kind of like the encroaching threat of something scary or something supernatural and then like the reveal happens in the last like act is just the chase right yeah although i don't know if i felt like it was creepy throughout until that moment but i was kind of like yeah i was still fine just watching whatever they decide to do with Megan. Well, with Um, Megan is less creepy, more like something's wrong with this robot. We all feel this, right? (laughs) It's like, why are you acting like she's the greatest thing ever? Like, don't you see this? Uh, Yeah. You know, some people like creepy clowns and porcelain dolls. So (laughs) they do. Yeah, they do. I don't know what's wrong with them. All this right. movie's for you. This movie's for all of us. Megan is for all of us. I I will say, come Halloween, I'm not sure how I'm going to feel with people dressed up like Megan. Oh, I might just have to avoid them. Mm. Yuck. Yeah. <laughs> all right. Um, I guess for formality's sake, let's ask ourselves, is Megan good pop? Oh, it's such good pop. It's great pop. It was such a delight to watch and just like feel the joy of genre cinema in like a week that I kind of needed some levity, right? Yeah, it it, it is just a self-assured movie. It knows what it wanted to do and it did it really well. I miss films like this, right? Kind of like this, a solid like mid-tier genre film that overperforms. Mm-hmm. These days, you know, a lot of studios are opting for more like tentpole or like triple A style films. And sometimes you just want something simple and competent and i think blumhouse does a really good job a2 Frozen mm-hmm. does a really good job with these types of films mm-hmm. where it's just a good popcorn flick uh, yeah i would i would agree with that and blumhouse is is a pretty solid name he's been doing all sorts of things tv movies everywhere um but this is kind of just like i think it fit also i like the fact that it came out right before or during all this oscar stuff <laughs> so it's like yeah we can talk about all of this oscar bait but what about megan <laughs> yeah they they understood this because uh they got the star of megan um What's her name? Um, uh, she's the she's the evil girlfriend from Get Out, right? Yeah. So Allison Williams, who plays the aunt, um, who is the AI uh, specialist genius, uh, she helped announce the Oscar nominations on oh. Tuesday morning. So they yeah. kind of knew what they were doing. <laughs> yeah. 
All right, Megan is playing in theaters now. It's also streaming um, on early access um, streaming platforms. So plenty of ways to watch Megan. Definitely a good time. Um, and I guess with that, that'll do it for this edition of the Good Pop Culture Club. Han, thank you again for joining us. Some people want to find out more of your thoughts. Where can they go? Still on Twitter, at Anonymous. And you can find me on Twitter at Marvin. You can find our show at Good Pop Club. Um, we are a proud member of the Potluck Podcast Collective. So check out our fellow Asian American hosted podcast by going to the website podcastpotluck.com. Wishing everyone a happy new year. Um, Han, happy new year to you. We didn't get to see that last week. Um, yeah. Happy new year. I think we need to uh, do some overdue dumplings or noodles. Yeah, for sure. Let's do it. And with that, we'll see everyone next week on Good Pop. Bye, everybody. Bye. Hey, Sharon. Hey, Raman. How are folks still racist? I know, right? We're like two decades into the 21st century. Yeah. And second question, where's my jetpack? Well, I can't help you there, but have I got a podcast for you. Modern Minorities is a show where each week, my longtime pal Raman and I uncover common and uncommon truths that we all need to hear for our majority brains and ears. Yeah. Sharon and I have spoken to doctors, lawyers, directors, climate activists, angry Asians, athletes, chefs, writers. Folks who are Black, brown, gay, straight, and everything in between. Past guests have included comedian Margaret Cho, Southern Poverty Law Center journalist Geraldine Mariba, comics creator Jean Lunyang, and many, many more. We've even talked about Ramadan, Black History Month, Kamala Khan, and Robin being queer. It's like we're trying to solve racism with the podcast. Challenge accepted. So check out Modern Minorities at modmypod.com or wherever you get your favorite podcasts. Remember, we're all modern minorities, but we're no one's model minority. Model minority.